The scripture for today comes from Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 6, through chapter 4, verse 4. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war each with his sword at his thigh against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon and the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. Good to be here with you, to worship the Lord with you. It's always good uh, to see, uh, look out and see the faces of those I'm worshiping the Lord with. Just get some, okay, there we go. Um, so if you weren't with us uh, last week, the beginning of this series of, on uh, Song of Solomon, uh, some people might say, why this, why are we delving into this? You know, why are we getting into this series here? Uh, well, uh, there's a couple of uh, main reasons. Uh, first of all, the Song of Solomon uh, shows us a godly standard for sexual intimacy in marriage uh, compared to the, the culture, right? The culture says sex is for mainly pleasure, and as long as two people want to take part, then it's okay anytime in the relationship. The culture tries to make it seem like Christians also think sex is bad and dirty because we limit it to marriage, or there's something wrong with it, and we try to stay away from it. That's kind of the picture that it paints us in, the culture does. Uh, but the Song of Solomon shows that we... Uh, as Christians, we celebrate sex. We're thankful for it. It's a gift from the Lord. He created it. And so uh, we think it's awesome. And we hold it in high regard as sacred between one man and one woman in marriage. And there is strength and safety in sex in marriage. The godly design should be that way. So there's that, there's that sense in which we're trying to show this is what, how God presents sex to us and marriage and even uh, preparing for marriage together. And this is what the culture says, right? So seeing that difference. But then also, too, 
2022, we've said that our theme is of growing in intimacy with God. And even though the heavy theme of this book is the relationship between a man and a woman, it is meant to point us uh, to our relationship with Christ as well and to grow in our relationship with him. And there's going to be more on that that I'm going to touch on later. Um, and honestly, you know, anytime we're immersing ourselves in the word of God, we're going to be growing. Like the spirit is going to use that immersing to help us grow in Christ, to grow in our intimacy with the Lord. And uh, let's be honest, I don't know how many of us in this room uh, have immersed ourselves in the Song of Solomon. Uh, so here's an opportunity, right, in this series to immerse ourselves in something that maybe we haven't spent a lot of time in. And so we can trust that the Lord, by the power of his Spirit, will help us to grow in intimacy with him as we spend time in this together. Now, uh, one thing that, as uh, Todd and Harrison and I kind of talked about the series overall, what if, what if you're coming to this series and you're like, what is my place in this? You know, what if I feel like this series doesn't speak specifically to me? So uh, you could be single right now and seeking marriage. Uh, you might be um, divorced. Uh, you might be uh, someone who's single and feels called to be single. Uh, or maybe right now you're in a very hard and painful marriage. So reading through these things might seem like, okay, how does this apply to me right now? And there's lots of answers you could say to that as to why this would be um, important for us all. Uh, but a few things to consider that I want to encourage you with is, first of all, this letter is addressed at some level to young singles. So we see a few times that um, the, the writer says directly to, like, he says like, oh, um, I adjure you. O daughters of Jerusalem. So speaking to those young women who are not married yet, but you could also project that to, okay, to all the young people of Jerusalem who are not married yet. So the letter is written to them in a major way. But then also just consider Paul himself, so the Apostle Paul, right? He was single and the Holy Spirit compelled him many times to talk about and to encourage believers in regards to marriage and sexuality. So here was a single man who was speaking into those things quite often. And the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to do so. So just because you aren't married doesn't mean these things aren't important to you. Uh, because for the sake of the body of Christ, they are important that for the same reason why Paul was speaking into these things as a single man, that knowing these things, no matter what arena you might be in in life, what situation you might be in life, that these things are meant for the edification of the body overall, and that we can be encouragements to each other in these things. So it's a gift to be able to do that for one another. So just wanted to lay a little bit of that groundwork uh, before we continue in the series. But let me pray and ask for God's help. Lord, you are good. 
and your steadfast love endures forever. And you are faithful to all generations. And that is true uh, even today. And will be true tomorrow. But Lord, thank you for your spirit today to help us. Holy Spirit, please work in this time. That you would be glorified. That we would grow in our joy and our love in you. And that we will grow in our love for others, Lord. Please help us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, so the the portion that uh, Griffin and Aaron read, uh, we're going to go back a little bit. So I encourage you, if you have your phone or your Bible, open up to Song of Solomon chapter 3, because there's this portion right before where they started reading that we're just going to look at really quick. Um. So 3, 1 through 5, this begins the bride's dream section. And this, this section will go on for a little while, uh, in the coming weeks even. Uh, and so remember, this is uh, wisdom literature. It's a song. There's poetic elements to it. And so now it's a, a dream with those things added in. So uh, we need to we need to kind of throw out the door a little bit here, like taking things absolutely literally, right? Um, as you could tell from uh, some of the stuff that Aaron and, and Griffin read. So the dream starts with her looking for the one whom her soul loves, and in this section, that phrase, uh, and this is something I, I really want to encourage us to to focus on. Look at the phrases by which. Um, the, the love, the, the delight that is described from one to the other. So in 3, 1 through 5, that phrase, uh, I sought him whom my soul loves. I will seek him whom my soul loves. Uh, when I found him whom my soul loves, like there's this repetition of how deep this love is that, that she has for her groom. And so this, this emphasis on whom my soul loves should immediately evoke in us. This is an important uh, aspect to how we should feel about our spouses or, or the person that we're seeking to marry. Like, this is the person whom my soul loves. And so she's searching for him through the streets and she can't find him. And then she finally finds him and they embrace and she won't let him go. She won't let him go. But in that embrace, kind of like earlier in the book, uh, in, the, in the middle of chapter 2, so in 6 and 7 in chapter 2, and um, uh, Ben last week talked about this in verse 6, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And so now that they're in this embrace, and she says again, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So this is an important repetition again. So we should say, why is this so important? Well, once again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer has this line repeated. Repeated because of the sacredness, the sacred nature of sexual intimacy. 
that we don't want to put ourselves in a position to stir up or awaken something to go in a direction that's not going to be good to then take part in sexual intimacy before it pleases before it's meant to be so this is repeated because of that so the sacred nature and there's this sense that i mean we we have to call this out there's i mean the lord has uh given us feelings and emotions and drives that when we do uh, start to build a relationship with someone that there's going to be a sense in which we're going to gravitate towards them and these things can be stirred in us and that that's okay in a sense right like it's good that's part of how we recognize this is a person that i want to marry that's part of that picture but at the same time even though parts of me this is kind of what she's saying right in these moments of being held even though there's parts of me that would enjoy going farther than this now love will not be fully pleased until it is awakened in its proper setting so if this is such an important line how do we make sure that we not stir up or awaken love until it pleases it's a question right because from the experience of so many of us is that we realize that we allowed this to get stirred up and awakened in us too early so this requires much prayer uh, much maturity and thoughtfulness and when we get to a point in a relationship with someone where we feel that like these things could more easily be stirred up and awakened we have to be entering into prayer on our own with that person to be able to have that conversation too with one another when the relationship takes a turn in that direction we have to be able to say hey i mean essentially i find you really attractive right i my my feelings for you are, are moving in this direction we have to be honest there's a sense of maturity and humility in that to be able to say that and to say and i know that i really need to be on guard with this we need to be on guard with this for the sake of honoring christ for the sake of holding this off until it's the right time so being honest with one another being humble enough and this, this is not an easy conversation at some level but it's a needed one when you get to that place so this is also a good mark of showing maybe how mature the other person is or immature they might be when you start to go down that road of having that conversation how do they respond to that and even you have to be honest in the sense of there could be some things that would stir up or awaken me that might not stir up or awaken the other person and so being able to have that conversation and talk through some of those things so this there's a sense in which this should be a mark of our own maturity in entering into these things and a mark of where that other person might be at so a big deal here to be thoughtful and prayerful about not stirring up or awakening love before it pleases 
Okay. You're like, all right, let's move on from that, right? Um, but if you're young and, and, and single and, but, and desiring to be married, start beginning to pray about these things, that the Lord would provide a time whenever that time might come, that, a Lord, that the Lord would provide a time to have that conversation, that the Lord would give you boldness, that the Lord would give you contentment in having that conversation and praying for the person who that will be with down the road. It's a good prayer to start praying right now. So verses 6 through 11. This is the entrance of the groom. So this is still her dream. There's still these symbolic things going on here. Uh, So uh, we have the entrance of the groom, and who is the symbolic groom of Solomon. So uh, one commentator on this section, I thought it was really helpful how he worded this. Uh, His name's Dwayne Garrett. He said, on the one hand, every young man in love is a Solomon in all his glory. The groom of the song is no more literally Solomon than he is literally a gazelle or apple tree, like some of the other metaphors are, right, or similes. Solomon is the royal figure par excellence and is a symbol for the glory that belongs to any groom. And this is the way that she views her groom. So I know a lot of times, right, in our culture, the, the wedding is usually bent towards being all about the bride, right? And all about how, I'm saying right here, it's about the groom too at some level. It's pretty clear here, right? <laughs> um, but uh, there's a sense in which, like, she is delighting in the entrance of the groom, seeing the groom for the first time. And so Solomon is that symbol of seeing her, her groom. But once again, just like the, the lines about seeing who my soul loves, you see this line at the end of that section. Um, Go out, daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding on the day of the gladness of his heart. I mean, look at that phrase there. The day of the gladness of his heart. What a great picture for what should be welling up in us as grooms about our wedding day. A day of gladness of our hearts. Which, once again, culturally, a lot of times, people say, oh, it's the, it's, that emphasis is so much on the bride and how she's feeling but that there is supposed to be this gladness of heart from the groom. And why shouldn't it be that way, right? And, of course, the bride wants to see that on the face of her groom and wants to see that playing out, the gladness of his heart. Glad because he is becoming one flesh with his bride. Glad because they are getting to share their lives together fully. I know a lot of times grooms talk about being nervous and everything like that, and and there's nothing wrong with being nervous about getting married, but... You know, is there that deep thing in there too of, boy, that day is the gladness of your heart as a groom. And so this gladness shows in how he delights in his bride. That's a a precursor to what we see here and how he starts to talk to her in chapter 4. And this is a really important picture for us. This is one of the biggest Themes. We've already seen it in their 
uh, pre-marriage phase, this couple, how they're delighting one another, encouraging one another, giving compliments to one another. And so this theme continues and it gets stronger now in marriage. So the delight of the, bri- the groom to the bride and the bride to the groom, taking delight in one another. Huge theme in the Song of Solomon. And we should take a cue there for sure. Um, and we're going to delve into that in a second. Uh, but before we get into what it says there in the passage and how that picture of delight is played out, I just don't think we can, we can't um, ignore, I believe, how our culture really tries to, tries to distract us from delighting in our spouse, honestly. There's a lot of distraction. And I was reading in this New York Times article that just came out uh, within the past week. The article was called, Call we, Can We Fall Out of Love? Can We Fall Out of Love? And it's written from the perspective of uh, people who... Uh, They were in love with somebody, and then that person, like, broke up with them, and so they didn't really want to break up, so they're still in love with them, and uh, also from a perspective of maybe the the relationship just broke off, and it was kind of mutual, but you can't kind of get the person out of your mind. You're still wrestling with uh, heartbrokenness over missing them and things like that. So it's written from that perspective. And the advice that the article gives, honestly, is very worldly and not very helpful. Um, But uh, listen to this quote from that article in terms of this is this is a uh, psychologist, a counselor who is giving advice to people about how to fall out of love. If you're stuck in trying to get out of it and you can. Here's what she says. First, it helps to think negative thoughts about the person you are trying to fall out of love with. The downside? Thinking negatively makes you feel less in love, but it doesn't make you feel any better. Worse, actually. What then? Distraction. Think of things that make you happy other than the person you are trying to fall out of love with. This made people happier, but no less in love. The solution, and this is what this doctor says, the one-two punch, she calls it, or negative thoughts about the person followed by a dose of distraction. So this is, this is an example of what she's giving advice about how to intentionally fall out of love. But I think, honestly, if we think about how marriages start to fade. The delighting in one another starts to wane. She's talking about intentionally trying to fall out of love, but I think that what happens is these same exact things, but we allow them to creep in to where we fall out of love and marriage and distraction. So if you think about this, what starts to happen is we allow the negative about that person to become the dominant train of thought over time. Right? That's what we start to do. We start to just think about all the ways in which they're getting on our nerves. And even good marriages, you can go through 
some spells of this, right? Where you're stuck in this rut and like all you can keep thinking about is how they just keep getting on your nerves and all the things that they do that are annoying and all the, you know, and it just keeps going and it builds off of itself. So that then when you're away from them, that's what you're thinking of maybe. When you're with them and you see them, you're like, oh, that's a person who was just annoying me earlier today, you know? Uh, and you just keep going down that road. So even though you may not have intentionally started going down that road, you get caught up in it. And then it might turn into some intentional negative thinking about the person. So that becomes your dominant train of thought, and you begin to dwell on those things. And our delight in the person overall and in their strengths are replaced with a a flood of thoughts with negativity, impatience with them, those kinds of things, right? That's what kind of floods into us. And honestly, on a deeper level, especially because God's word points us in this direction, is that we really, uh, and maybe from the beginning of our marriage, we never jumped in on this very clear teaching in the scriptures, where we're actually supposed to be uh, delighting in the process of helping one another to grow in Christ to become more like him. So that actually in the midst of us seeing the negativity of the person and seeing their weaknesses, that we actually delight in helping to come alongside them and to bear with one another in love, to bear with those things, right? And to help point each other to Christ. Now, there are many marriages that do not start out with that mindset. That that's a part of what we are to delight in, is that process of seeing them grow in Jesus. So, we give way to negative thoughts, but also we give way to distraction. And they're distractions to delighting in our spouse. And there's two big ones that that came to mind Uh, there's a lot of them you could think of, but, you know, our culture just has so many different ways in which it's trying to distract us. Um, there's this one show and, uh, Todd had referenced this show in a sermon a a while ago. Um, and he wasn't saying it was the best show in the world when he said this, he was just giving an example because what I'm about to say about the show really just makes it, I was frustrated with the show. All right. Um, And I told him I was going to share this too, okay? So I wasn't totally bashing. He knows what I'm doing. Um, So Ordinary Joe, some of you may have seen it. It's this show about uh, a decision that a guy makes on his graduation day that uh, from college that ends up, he, he, depending on how he deals with that decision, his life either goes in one of, goes in one of three trajectories. And so the show is all about tracing each of those trajectories and seeing what happens to him. And so he ends up having the same group of people in his life in, the, in each trajectory for the most part. But in each trajectory, so as Jody and I are watching this, it's like they have this, this air about it, this ambiance of the series of like, oh, it looks like they're about to have an affair. Oh, it looks like in this, this life over here, Oh, they're interacting with, you can tell that they're kind of starting to delight in one another, like 
instead of with their spouse, the person that they marry, they're, they're kind of doing this thing where there's like this constant air of like fear of adultery. It's just hanging over each one of the streams. And you're like, is anybody going to do the right thing? Is anybody going to do a godly thing here and like not start to delight in someone else? And is going to go after delighting in their spouse? I mean, I'm just sitting, I'm just thinking that to myself. I'm like, what is going on in this series? <laughs> so the, the, the culture is feeding us this picture uh, because in some cases in the show, it like upholds kind of what's happening in that adultery. And in other ways, it shows that it's destructive. But it's like this, this hanging over of, of like, oh, okay, I can start to delight in this person. I can, can you know, kind of cultivate this thing with this person over here, even emotionally and conversation. And there's this air in the culture about that. fear and possibility of adultery i mean that's part of what it does to us right it goes two directions it makes us then fear interacting especially like you just think about what it might do to us in the church it would make us fearful of interacting with our brothers and sisters in christ in ways that are appropriate but then we're just like so fearful and then if you know we're the spouse of someone and then we see them interacting with somebody or something that's appropriate and then like it just causes this fear and anxiety it just raises these things up in us or it creates the possibility like oh okay this is kind of happening over here this might be this might turn out okay or whatever so the culture is doing that to us and part of the culture of course is pornography pornography is a huge distractor of delight so just think about the base of that right you have um, you have, if you're not married yet, pornography is calling to you and saying, delight in these people, delight in these people when you're not meant to be delighting in anybody in that way right now. So it's cultivating an adulterous spirit in us to delight in people we are not meant to delight in. But then once we're married, too, and if we're taking part in looking at pornography, it's like it's cultivating in us a delight in the body or the experiences of others when our delight was meant to, from the very beginning, the only person we were meant to delight in that way is our spouse. And so it distracts from the single focus of delighting in our spouse, that great gift of this person is the standard. Because pornography is showing us all these other things and causing us to delight in these people we're not meant to delight in when that person, our spouse, is the standard and the one that we are meant to delight in fully. And we should see that as a gift. And that's what we should be praying for. Lord, help me to delight in my spouse. And Lord, help me to not begin to delight in these other people before I'm even married to, to the person I'm meant to delight in. So that I'm not distracting myself 
right away from being able to enter into delighting in the one, the one person. And these are good prayers to pray. These are good prayers to pray because they fall in line with how Lord has how the Lord has designed things. So that's all the bad news and the crummy stuff, right? Um, what is the antidote? How should our hearts be bent in prayer and action in delighting? Because we see other places, not just in Song of Solomon, even in the Proverbs. Uh, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoicing in the wife of your youth. It doesn't, just, it doesn't mean like, oh, only rejoice in her in when she was young. It's rejoicing in the one that you've been married to this whole time. Right? So rejoicing. And we see this joy, this delight in chapter 4 where uh, Solomon, the, the picture of the groom, is saying all these things to the bride. Really specific things too. About her eyes, her hair, her teeth, her lips, her cheeks, her neck, her breasts. All these different things, very specific, drawing comparisons to all these different things that we read through this and we're like, oh gosh, I would never want anybody to say that to me. Um, None of these (laughs) comparisons make any sense to me, right? But for them, it was a big deal. Like to say those things, it was a big deal. So the specificity of the complementary language, uh, I mean, of course, a spouse might enjoy hearing you're beautiful, you look beautiful. I mean, of course. Or you look handsome. But it's good to go into specifics and to use the energy and the drive to to be more intentional in saying specifics, not only just about how someone looks physically, but specifics about how they are emotionally, how their personality is. Like, honestly, in marriage, a lot of times we get lazy. And men, we're more guilty of this, okay? We, we did so much work in trying to win the heart of our bride. Not to say that it was a lie or whatever. It, we meant it. But now, we st- that, that language, that complimentary language, that delighting in language, it starts to wane a lot of times. And that can be true for the wife as well. But... This, this picture is meant to be an enduring picture of how we delight in our spouse. And trust me, it's not like I do these things perfectly. It's not like I'm standing up here. I mean, as I'm reading these things and I'm thinking about specificity and I'm like, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to be more, you know, all these kinds of, like, I need help in these ways. Because it takes a lot of intentional and sacrificial drive to keep this stuff going. And so there's this, there's this tension that we feel, maybe in our marriage, where um, we realize that we need to be more intentional and more sacrificial. And it's not, maybe we've lost sight of these things being habitual in our marriage. And so we need to pray that the Lord will restore this delighting in our spouse in us. 
back to what we were like then, maybe, that he will restore these things. Lord, help me to delight in my wife. Help me to delight in my husband. So that restoration, while at the same time, then we need to be doing those things, intentionally doing those things, so that our prayers and our actions are working together while we're waiting for the Lord to maybe change our heart. That's the way it is with so many things that we try to grow in in Christ, right? We're, We're waiting for God to change our heart to make us more like him. And at the same time, we're trying to move forward with it. We're praying and we're acting. So that's the way it is with delighting. And I hope that this word of delight, especially for maybe if your marriage is struggling right now, and you both realize you are not delighting in one another. And this would seem like a mountain that how do we get there? How do we get there? Or maybe this is a week where you're just annoying one another a lot. Right? This might be one of those weeks. I'm telling you, start to seek the Lord about delighting in your spouse. That word, that approaching of the subject, that desire, the Lord will love that prayer because it will be hitting right at the center of how you're supposed to think and act towards your spouse. So delighting in. And this really brings us um, to that connection that I spoke of earlier where this picture of delighting in our bride, delighting in our husband, it's a, it's a picture that's meant to point us to the greater reality of God's delight in us. Because when we have a passage like Ephesians 5, It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle. Doesn't that sound like the Song of Solomon? It does. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So every marriage should be striving to capture that picture of Christ and his bride. It's one of our greatest gospel witnesses in this world. And if people see us delighting in one another, it will be like they are seeing a picture of Christ delighting in his bride and his bride delighting in him. It's a great and powerful image. And may the Lord help us to do that. Let's pray, and then we're going to share in this thing that shows his delight in us, right? Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We are insufficient for these things. 
Uh, we are unfaithful, but Lord, you are faithful. And the power of your spirit is sufficient to lead us and help us. Lord, we want our marriages to stay together. Lord, help us to delight in our spouses. And Lord, I know at some level we're going to do that better for sure if we understand how you have delighted in us. That will free us up more and more to delight in our spouses when we see how you have delighted in us. In your name we pray. Amen.